Welcome to the Center Point Church Podcast. So excited to be able to spend some time with you this week. We're on this series called This Is My Story, This Is My Song. I think you're going to get a lot out of it. Each week we're going to look at a classic hymn, talk about the history of it, who wrote it, what they were going through, and what biblical truths we can pull out and apply to our lives today. Let's jump into the message. We are starting a new series that's going to take us through the end of summer. If you grew up in church, you're going to love it. If you got, if you had like what I had when you were a young kid, you, you know, you had a drug problem, uh, your parents drug you to church. <laughs> Come on, somebody. They don't get better from here. The jokes are going to go down. Thank you. And you got drugged to church, then this is going to be a cool moment of nostalgia for you because here's what we're going to be doing. We're starting a new series called This Is My Story, This Is My Song. And what we're going to do every week is we're going to take a look at some classic hymns We're going to learn the history of them, what the author of the hymns was going through, the context clues of society at that time, and then we're going to see how we can apply biblical truths to our world today with the hymns that God and the Holy Spirit inspired many years ago. And some of them aren't that old, some of them are old. And so this week, we're going to be looking at Fanny Crosby's classic hymn, Blessed Assurance. And so how we're going to start every week is we're going to play the song at the beginning, then we're going to have the message, and then we're going to hear it again at the end That now that you're invested in it. So Mark Hatt, who serves this place so faithfully for so many years, uh, is going to be singing Blessed Assurance, and then we're going to hear about it. It's all yours. Blessed assurance, Jesus is my. Lost in his love 
is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long, praising my Savior all the day long. So good. I love these classic hymns because I can literally still hear my grandfather like singing them. Like I can hear his voice singing them. I can like see him shake this like fist pump he used to do for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why he just got excited. And, and I, I just, I love it. I think God can still speak through these hymns even in our lives today. So this is Blessed Assurance. Uh, written by Fanny Crosby. If you want to put that picture up of Fanny just for a moment. My kids laughed when I told them about this because they think it's funny that someone was named Fanny. It's not, not a name that's really used a whole lot in this day and age. She became one of the most prolific writers of hymns in the history of the world. But what I think we can learn from the life of Fanny Crosby is this. This is the big picture. Is even despite tragedy that happened to her, and we're going to go through her story a little bit today, over and over and over again, she viewed her life as one of blessings. She had every reason to be mad at God, to blame God, because some things happened to her that were unfair, some things happened to her that were unexpected, some things happened to her that were tragic, and some things happened to her that she was a victim of someone else. I think some of us in this room can probably relate to that. But her perspective was one of blessing. When she was just a few months old, she had a cold that settled on her sinuses around her eyes. And so her parents took her to a country doctor. And that country doctor applied a mustard-based ointment to her eyes because the cold had settled in there. Now at the time, this was considered cutting edge technology. They used it for geriatrics when they needed our, uh, they had problems with arthritis or inflammation in different joints, knees, hips, elbows. And so the doctor decided to put that on her eyes to heal her. What ended up happening was there was a massive infection that occurred and it caused her to be blind. So from a very young age, she was blind. 
at six months old, her biological father passed away unexpectedly. Now, some would say that right off the bat now, she started life off behind the eight ball. Some would say that right off the bat that that life now will be marked by what happened to her. But that's not how Fanny viewed it. We've actually got documented a poem that she wrote at eight years old. Listen to this. Eight years old, this was her perspective. Oh, what a happy soul I am, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and to sigh because I'm blind, I cannot, I won't. She had this resolve at a young age that she wasn't going to let what happened to her define her. She was going to let what Jesus had already done for her define her. Oh, the enemy wants to use this to you and I today already to say that you are a sum of your sins, that you are a sum of the circumstances. But let the words of Fanny Crosby echo in this place. Blessed assurance. Blessed assurance. Now, now what does that mean? We're going to get to that. But her tragedies wouldn't stop right there. When she was 38, she got married. So for some of you that are still single, there's hope. She got married at 38. But, but her only child died at a young age. Another tragedy. And then her husband died. And she lived the last 30-something years of her life a widow and alone. Another tragedy. How can somebody who has had these tragedies already and all these things stacked against them have such a life that she was admired? Listen to this. At 23 years old, she spoke to the sitting president of the United States. And every president for the rest of her 90 plus years she actually had a relationship and an audience with. In fact, she was the first woman to ever stand in front of the U.S. Senate and speak. Now, what was she talking about? She was an advocate that they would have federal-funded programs for Braille and for education. She was trying to show people that because someone has a disability with their eyesight doesn't mean that they cannot perform and that they cannot achieve anything else, maybe even greater than someone without the disability can. And now you and I, that sounds like, yeah, of course we know that now, but that, that wasn't the case back then. The trailblazer, courage. Yet, more tragedy was strike. She actually worked for a publishing company that paid her three or four dollars per him. And they said, we just want you to write three or four a week. At the time, that was good money. She was actually writing six or seven hymns a day, which the publishing company was like, hold on, hold on, we're only paying you for three or four a week. And she said, I, I cannot stop the flow of words, of opportunities to praise my creator. My goodness, the world could use Fanny Crosby in it today. But because of the power of the Holy Spirit that used her, her words can still make an impact today because they're about God. I love what Fanny Crosby, her, her, her story of her death. 
So in 1915, weeks before her 95th birthday, she passed away from complications of a stroke. 90-something years old is a pretty good life. Especially at weeks old, she was considered already broken and society would discard her as something to be able to achieve, not only because of her disability, but because you have a disability with a fatherless home. And at a time, you were a woman, which was at the time they would consider it less than. Oh, not to Fanny Crosby and not to our Lord and Savior. See, God chooses anointing in the most unlikely circumstances. We see it all throughout scripture. Why? So he can get the glory. And he finds these people that the world has said is too broken and discarded and, 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 and can't be fixed and can't be used. And God's anointing is almost like a spotlight. And he just says, boom, this is who I'm going to use for this time. On her tombstone, it doesn't say anything about her resume. Now, if I had her resume, man, that's how I'd want to greet you. Hi, my name's Jason. I spoke to the U.S. Senate. That'd be a little weird if I said I'm the first female to speak. <laughs> but it is 2022, right? Too soon? Okay, sorry. <laughs> Cut that from the podcast, please, Steve. Listen to what she put on her tombstone, though. Her name? Birth date? The date of her death? And six words. Six words she wanted to represent her whole life. And they're the words that are the words of Jesus. And it was when Jesus was speaking about the woman who anointed him in Bethany with the expensive perfume and everybody's like, what's she doing? And Jesus said this, these are the six words that are on her tombstone. She hath done what she could. She hath done what she could. See, if I could just be honest with you for a moment, it's, it's, it's easy to think that the value of your life is dependent upon what you can accomplish. And for me, it's like, man, the value of my ministry is how many people show up on a Sunday, which is far from the truth. What God is going to hold me accountable for is am I faithful with what he's put in front of me? What God is going to hold you accountable for is have you been faithful and are you being faithful with what God has put in front of you? It may be that God wants you to be a stay-at-home mom and raise two, three, four, one godly children that will carry on the legacy of Christ for generations in your family. And is that enough? It is to God. So let's pivot. There's two things that stand out to me in this song of blessed assurance. And the first one is the title. Blessed assurance, point one. Blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. What does blessed assurance mean? When I, when I hear the word assurance, it's like it's a promise that it's going to happen. We have assurance that it's going to happen. So my mind immediately goes to 1 Peter. That's where we're going we're gonna to have look at two portions of Scripture of 1 Peter. And if you go back like maybe a month or two ago, we did a series called Nero and the Living Stones, and we broke through, we went through uh, and broke down scripture, in particular the book of 1 Peter. So I'm not going to rehash it, but I want to remind you that this is written to the believers who are going through extreme persecution, and things are kind of unfair, and there's tragedy, and there's persecution, and there's difficulty, and there's death, and the Christians are starting to look around and say, is this worth it? Is it worth it? Because life would be so much easier if we could just blame God for what happened. 
And life would be so much easier if we could just be accepted by society instead of being persecuted for standing up for what God said. Sound familiar? It would be easy for you and I to just go along with what society says as to not be canceled. But if the church looks exactly like the world, then how are we ever going to attract them to an alternative of this broken world? And so this is where my mind goes. First Peter 1. Verse 3 through 8. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Underline those two words. A living hope. Through not your own personal strength, not a living hope through money, through accomplishments, through your life being as easy as possible, not through medical diagnosis, not through a man or a woman that God chooses to preach. Your hope should not be through me. If it is, <laughs> you're in trouble. What is our living hope through? The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. One, word, one portion of scripture says that God has given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Verse five, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven of the genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even, through, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you did not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy." That's where my mind goes. See, our, our, our wish and our hope for happiness and peace is not just wishful thinking. It's not just great words that encourage you. It's not a pep rally. It's not a TED talk. Our, our, our hope is based upon that God kept his promise with what he said he was going to. That Jesus, the Messiah, was going to live a perfect life, was going to die for our sins, and three, years, three days later was going to be resurrected. Because Jesus did what he said he would do, you now have a living hope. And at some point in time, you're going to come to a crossroads in your faith. Here's why. Because God is pretty much invisible. Now, I know some of you are already thinking like, well, Jason, I heard Billy Graham once say that though you can't see the wind, you can see the effects of the wind. And he did say that, and he is right. But don't be super spiritual on me for just a moment, all right? We're C-plus Christians in this room, let's be honest. It'd be a lot easier if God wasn't invisible. Wouldn't it be easier if God spoke to you through a burning bush and you're like, man, tell me what to do, God, tell me. And it feels like it would be easier, but I wonder if it would because even back then they lacked faith. Even back then they still made golden calves. So I wonder what would happen if God spoke to us today? What would happen if God showed up? 
Fanny chose to have joy in spite of circumstances where there should be no joy. She chose to praise her Savior all the day long, and it meant something because the world said, why would you do that? If I tell you how great God is on the day that I get a raise, is that really going to make an impact in your life? But if I can see that even on your darkest day, you say, I'm still, Lord, you're still faithful. I'm still here. I still believe in you. I don't get it. It hurts, but I'm here. Oh, that's when I'm leaning in because I'm like, oh, I want to see that because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. We have a dog at our house. Is there anybody here that's dog people? Is there anybody here that's cat people? There's not going to be cats in heaven. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Enjoy your time now with those wretched demons. But let's talk about... <laughs> let's talk about dogs for a minute. Okay? I, I, I don't really like animals at all. Uh, I get it, though. I do. When I walk in the door, I walk in the door... My wife is sitting on the couch reading a book. My kids are, you know, doing whatever. I walk in, nobody gets up. I walk in, and my dog, it could be five minutes, y'all. My dog acts like it hasn't seen me in years. Earlier that morning, I could have beat it. I could have not fed it. I could have put it in a cage. But I walk in the door, and that dog is like, Jason, where have you been, man? I heard a quote. Eleanor Roosevelt gets credit for it, though I don't think she said it. But maybe she did. And it says, dear Lord, help me be the person that my dog thinks I am. <laughs> But I was thinking about this. I was thinking about my dog doesn't sit at home and it's like, man, I wish we had a bigger house. Or I don't know if Jason has made enough money to buy food for me that am I going to eat today? I don't, I don't know if he loves me anymore because yesterday I dug a hole in the yard. And, and, and I'm not saying that we're dogs and I'm not saying that God is dog, a dog, but what I am saying is, is I think that that gives you a more accurate presentation of the mindset of Fanny Crosby. And it was more like, no matter what is going on, it is not going to deter me that my God is for me, that my God wants to spend time with me, that my God is, is, is his eye is on me and I am blessed because I think that if you live a life, let's just put this in perspective for a moment. Let's say you live to be 100. Some of you will not. Some of you are past 100. <laughs> and let's say that every terrible thing happens to you that could possibly happen to a human being for those 100 years. And I'm not making light of your, your past, I promise you. I'm not making light of your, of your present, I promise you. But I want to give you some perspective on what God has done. And if for those 100 years, every terrible thing that could ever happen to you here on earth happened to you, but you had salvation and you had heaven waiting for you, you are blessed. Because that's how much greater what Jesus has done compared to what man can do. 
blessed assurance. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Oh, he has gone to prepare a place for us. And he has given the Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing that he will come back for his people. And for those of you in the last year that have had to bury loved ones, that love the Lord, that have given their life to the Lord, you will see them again. Let the words of Paul echo in this place that we are to mourn, but we are not to mourn as those without hope. We are not to rejoice when bad things happen to us, but we're to have the perspective of saying, this is temporary. And my faith is in that God has prepared a place that he said he was going to prepare. It's an all-in lifestyle. That's how we can have blessed assurance. The flip side is this, is man has created this invisible sin scale, if we're honest. And some sins were like, man, this is just a small little one. Like, this is just a little bit of lie, a little bit of gossip, a little bit of greed. These are tiny, but up here, these are the bad ones. And, and, and we start determining where we live based upon like how we are on this sin scale as if that determines if God is, is proud of us. It wants to, to be with us. It wants to, you, you, you got to understand, I'm not making light of sin. It, it, Jesus had to shed his blood for it. But when God sees you, if you've given your life to the Lord, he sees what Jesus did, not what you're doing. An entry-level Christianity is, I don't want to sin because I don't want to get in trouble. And that's okay. It's a good place to start. But if you've been walking for, with God for three decades and that's still where you are, you're a spiritual infant. If I can give you some perspective, it's I'm not going to treat my wife terrible because I'm afraid she's going to be mad at me. It's we have a relationship and I want to do everything I can to invest in that relationship. And that's what it looks like to be with God. Blessed assurance. The second one is this, is the chorus. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. There's a lot of inclusive language in there. It's personal language, intimate language. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. See, God is, is yours but I'm his favorite. My picture's on his fridge. Somebody got me a button one time that says, Jesus loves everyone, but I'm his favorite. And I wore it one time and somebody was like, bro, that's, 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 not, that super, that's not that appropriate. And I'm like, be quiet. The Lord gave me this. The Lord is my shepherd. He knows what I want. It was a good perspective, though, to think about it. Do you feel like you're God's favorite? And if the first voice that's in your head says, no, that's not from God. That's either from you or from the enemy. This is my story. If you've sat under my teaching for any portion of time, you know I say over and over and over again, the most powerful witnessing tool you have is your story and what Jesus has done for you. This is my story. This is my song. This is what I've gone through. See, we think that God wants this brand new wrapped in cellophane version of us and to, to put us on the shelf and be like, ta-da, look, angel, you're perfect. God wants to use this perfect person. Please. God wants to use the broken parts of you that he fixed and redeemed. That's what you got to tell the world. Not these are wounds, but look at these scars. But church, Big C Church, has programmed us to think that we hide our scars because we got to come in here and act like we've been perfect our whole lives. Please, show your scars off. That's how you're going to reach the world. Look what Jesus healed, man. 
Look what Jesus healed. This is a room full of broken people. This is my story. This is my song. So my thought goes to this when I hear this. And it's recorded in several gospels, but I like the one in Mark. Uh, the reason that, by the way, so I, this is a side note. This isn't in the notes. You're welcome. This is free. Is like the four gospels are all written by different people for different audiences and they all the authors all have their different personalities and 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 whenever something really epic happens i go to mark here's why mark was a disciple of peter so it's some people some theologians actually call it peter's gospel like he skips baby jesus altogether and just starts going to the healings. It starts going to like, like, like if he was writing today, it would have all the explosions and all of the like, music and the tense stuff. And then John would, would probably be, you know, written by Nicholas Sparks and, 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 uh, cause he's just love and beloved. And I like that too. Don't get me wrong. I like a chick flick from time to time. Uh, and Matthew was a tax collector. So it's like UCPAs and you financial guys would probably love that stuff. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's important for a period of time. And Luke was a doctor, and so he wrote to a particular audience as well. But Mark, like Mark, he writes some epic stuff. So I want you to hear this from Mark's perspective. And, and this is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. I say that a lot. Forgive me. But this is Jesus talking to Peter. So I'm going to imagine that Peter told Mark to include this because it's one of the few portions of the Gospels that makes Peter look good. <laughs> He's like, yeah, the part where I cussed out that one girl and cut that dude's ear off, skip by that. I want you to emphasize this right here. And that's what I would do too. So we're chapter eight. This is a conversation between Jesus and Peter. I love that sound of the rustling of pages. Come on now, that's fantastic. My Bible glows, but I like yours. Chapter, uh, chapter eight, verse 27. It's just a few scriptures, but it's, it's, it's important. It's in front of all the disciples, but he's talking to Peter. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say that you are John the Baptist. Others say that Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. One translation says the Christ. Now, that may not seem like a big deal on the surface, but it's huge. Here's why. Up to that point, the only people that had audibly recognized Jesus as the Messiah was God himself. This is my son whom I am well pleased and demons. Check that. Demons were the first ones to audibly declare that Jesus was the Christ before humans. Why? Because they know they've been there for a long time. So for Peter to say this publicly was heresy. For Peter to say this publicly could be punishable by death. Because you just spoke up against Yahweh and declared that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, is the Messiah. But I love this because why would they say he's John the Baptist or Elijah? Because if you remember all the way back in the Old Testament, they kept saying that Elijah would come, and at that point, he would be the forerunner. He would say, now Jesus is here because Elijah is here. And that's why John the Baptist has the spirit of Elijah, because he was the one that was ushering in the Messiah. So some people were saying he was Elijah, 
He wasn't the Messiah, but he was preparing the way for the Messiah to come. And, and, and John, some say he was John the Baptist because John the Baptist, you know, gets beheaded. But he says, who do you say I am? See, I can go all day long and tell the world about who God is. And we can memorize every seminary book there is. We can memorize all the Jehovah names. And I think they're important. I'm not making light of them. But if I go to somebody on the street that doesn't know God and they're in the middle of sin and they're in the middle of just desolation and depression and I'm be like, hey, have you ever heard of Jehovah Rapha? What about Jehovah Jireh? And they're going to be like, huh? Are you drunk? And I love what God says. He says, who do they all say? Okay, cool. But who do you say I am? Who am I to you? Because the cool part is that God has a relationship with each and every one of you that have given your life to him that is unique. It's different. It's different than mine. And that's why we need you. You can reach a whole group of people that I can't. What have you been through? Who do you say that I am? I want to end our time with this and then we're going to hear this song one more time now that you're invested in it. Now that you know about the life of Fanny Crosby. A few years ago, my wife and I, my first job in ministry was a youth pastor. Before that, I was a school teacher. But when we were a youth pastor, man, we saw some, some uh, pretty amazing things, some funny things, some crazy things. Some middle schoolers are nuts. <laughs> and we went to summer camp one year and we brought a ton of students. And there was one girl that went on scholarship she gave me permission to share this a few years ago, so I'm just going to assume that was in perpetuity, <laughs> so I'm telling you now. But, but she, she came to camp, and she said, you know, hey, my birthday is this week, but, but please don't tell anybody. And I was like, why? She wouldn't say. She said, I just, I just hate that holiday. And I know I could tell by looking at her forearms and some of the scars and some of the current cuts that were there that there was a past, a present. And I said, man, why do you hate your birthday so much? We pulled her aside. You know, we remember this? And she says this. She said, my uncle molested me on my birthday. What do you say to a kid that tells you that? I would hate my birthday too if I were her. So that night, we pulled all of our team together and we started talking to the leaders there and I told them that story and I said, we gotta do something because for the rest of her life, this day is gonna be marked by what man did. And I promise you, nobody is mourning harder during that time than God. And so then one of our leaders said, we need to take it back. I said, we need to what? We need to take it back. It's greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. She's still here. She tried to kill herself two, three times. But it didn't work. And she's still here. And tomorrow's her birthday. Let's take it back. 
So we went and got her a birthday cake. We went and got decorations. We went and got candles. And in front of all of her peers, we celebrated that birthday. You want to know why? Because the devil tried to harm her. The devil tried to eliminate her life. The devil tried to eliminate her testimony. And rather than saying, God, why did you allow this? We wanted to pivot and give her a testimony that can say, God brought me through this. So we took her birthday back. And from that point forward, every time when it was her birthday, it was no longer a reminder of how she was marked by what God, what, what, what man did. And rather than the mindset of God, why did you allow this? It was more of God, you brought me through this. You have a plan and you have a purpose for my life. And despite the devil trying to harm me, I'm going to turn this in for good. And when she started to open up to those people about what she went through, guess what happened? Boys and girls at that camp started saying, that's happened to me too. That's happened to me too. The abuse may have looked different, but the wound was the same. And we saw healing. Now the devil's going to try to make you say, man, I got to hide all of that because it's shameful. It's too hurtful. And God's like, no, no, no. Let me heal that so I can use it because you're not alone. This is my story. This is my song. Praise my Savior all the day long. God wants to use your story. What you've gone through, what you're going through, what you've been through for his glory to minister to hurting and broken people. Let's hear this song one more time now that you're more invested in it. Blessed assurance Jesus is mine Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine Here salvation purchase of God born of his spirit washed in his blood